Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 1, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O, daughters of Jer o ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up, nor awake my love till he please. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe, our young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of the birds has come, and the voice of the turtle, or the turtle dove, is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O oh, my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, and the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Take us, the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. Until the daybreak, the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. I believe personally, this is opinion, okay? I believe personally that there is a lack of true love among many people for the Lord's churches. All you have to do is look at the membership role of many churches and see how many people show up on a given Sunday, and that tells you how many people really love the church. And so, again, I think there's that lack of true love. Several years ago, I read an article, and I think I've shared it with you before, but the article was titled this, Meet Those Who Love Jesus, But Not the Church. People who say they love Jesus, but they say, I don't have any use for the church. You realize that cannot be biblically sustained. That attitude cannot be biblically supported. It's sort of like saying, I like playing baseball, but I don't want to be on a team. Our son growing up liked to be on the team. It didn't bother him if he didn't get to play. He just liked being on the team. And that's the way a lot of people are when it comes to church. They want to be on the team, but they don't care to show up to the practices. They don't care to show up to the games. They just say, I'm on the team. And you'll ask a lot of people about their spiritual condition. They say, well, I'm a member of such and such church. They may never attend, but they've got the name on the church roll, and they feel like apparently that gives them some standing with the Lord. Well, if they've never repented toward God and trusted Christ, they don't have any standing with him except as a lost person. But the term Christian means to be like Christ, right? That's what Christian means. It means Christ-like. Why were the early churches given the name Christian? Because they presented Jesus Christ so much. Well, listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands... Love your wives, listen to this, even as Christ also loved the church. See, Jesus loves the church. And people who say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, are not like Christ. He loved the church, it says, and gave himself for it. The Lord did not intend for us who are saved to be freelancers. For us to just say, I'm going to go out on my own, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to work by my own authority, which we don't really have any, but I'm going to work by my own authority, and I'm going to work for personal benefit. He doesn't intend us to have that attitude toward his kingdom work. 
If you love somebody or you love something, you're going to want to be around it, aren't you? I really enjoy it when my wife gets home from work in the evenings. I look forward to that time of her getting home. You know, we spend a lot of time apart. So if you love your husband or you love your wife, you're going to want to be around them, right? If you love your children, you want to be around your children. You find enjoyment in being with your family because you love your family. If you love this church, you'll be here. Amen. If you love this church, you will be present in these services. I know there are people who are physically unable to be here. I understand that. We're not talking about those folks. Some folks cannot be here, and God knows that. But if God gives us health and if God gives us strength, folks, we ought to be here. Instead of looking for excuses not to be here. You can't serve God just whenever, wherever, and however you want to. What was the standard that Jesus gave the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? God's a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I heard somebody talking yesterday about the difference between sincerity and truth. So there are a lot of folks in churches today and they're not hearing the truth. They're not practicing the truth, but they're very sincere in what they do. There are a lot of people who are very sincere and think they're going to heaven, but they've never repented toward God and trusted Christ. They're depending on baptism or church membership or good works or something like that to save them, and they're not depending upon the shed blood of Jesus. They're very sin I don't doubt their sincerity for one moment, but it's not according to truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we have these words, and Paul was writing to this young preacher, Timothy, and he said, If a man also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. You know what that's saying? If you're going to play the game, you've got to follow the rules, right? There's a certain way things need to be done. And then in Ephesians 3.21, what does it say? Unto him, talking about God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. God is glorified in and through this church, and I believe that God has set New Testament churches as the place that he will receive glory and the place that he will be worshipped today. And again, the problem is so many people today don't have a self-sacrificing love for the Lord or a self-sacrificing love for his churches. They say they do. Listen to them talk. They'll say that. It, but our actions reveal what we feel more than what our words do. I mean, I can tell my wife I love her all day long. But I prove it by my actions. And so many times people are shown to say one thing and do another. So we're going to look at these verses that make up our text. We're going to see how the Lord's churches should feel about him and how he feels about his churches, but mainly how we should feel about him. First of all, you look at what this Shulamite woman says. And we see in verses 3 through 6 that her admiration is of her shepherd. He says that he's sweet to her. Well, listen to it. As apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved. Now, think about an apple for a moment. What does an apple do? I hope everybody likes apples. I enjoy a nice, red, delicious, sweet apple. First thing an apple tree or an apple does is it provides sweetness. That's probably a better dessert than, I hate to say this, than chocolate. But, you know, an apple provides sweetness. Just imagine right now biting into that red, juicy apple and how sweet and how good it's going to taste. An apple tree provides shade, doesn't it? The leaves and the, the branches of the apple tree provide shelter from the sun, and it provides sustenance. I don't know 
if the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was an apple or not, okay? I mean, everybody's decided it's an apple. The Bible doesn't say it was. I don't know whether it was or not. But what did it say that Eve said about the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? She saw it was good for food. And so an apple provides sweetness. It provides shade. It provides sustenance. Our work and our walk and our witness of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be sweetness to us, folks. We just ought to enjoy it, just like being with our families or, or the other things that we enjoy. Our labor for the Lord should bring enjoyment to us. You know, when you love somebody, you don't mind doing things for them, do you? See, I know my wife loves me because she does things for me. You know, I can be sitting there in the recliner and she happens to be over in the kitchen and I say, oh, would you mind filling this tea glass? <laughs> would you mind turning on the keg so I can get up and make me some coffee in a minute? And she enjoys doing, I assume she enjoys it, she's never said otherwise, but we enjoy doing things for people when we love those people. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. In other words, they're not a burden. It doesn't wear us out. It doesn't tire us out. We enjoy being obedient to God. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said what? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so our love for the Lord is not revealed in what we say so much as it is revealed in what we do. And so we illustrate our love, we demonstrate our love by being obedient to Him. Matthew 6, talks about priority, talks about position. Seek ye first above everything else. That's priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then the last part of that promise is all these things shall be added unto you. But this verse where she talks about the sweetness of her beloved, talks about the desire that we should have and the enjoyment that we ought to have in serving our Lord. And then he's security to her. Look at what she says as well. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. She's saying, I've come under his leadership. I've come under his strong arm. This verse talks about strength. We're talking about how we should view the Lord and how we should view his churches. It talks about the beauty and the security of his strength that we have. You know, I, after we'd been out here and the work by the electricians had been approved and I was putting something about it on Facebook and I thought of a song and it's the one I put. I don't normally put songs. I don't like to put songs by maybe anybody other than our people on our Facebook group and page, but this one song that I put on there just touched my heart. And I, as I said, it made my eyes sweat, if y'all understand what I mean by that. But here we are in your presence, lifting holy hands to you. Here we are thanking Jesus for all the things that, uh, I forget the words, but all the things that you've done for us. And just God's mercy and God's dealing with us, even in this difficult time, this uh, trying time, shows his strength and his love for us. Think about Jesus sitting and looking over the city of Jerusalem a week before they were to take him and were to crucify him, unmercifully crucify him. And he sat there and he overlooked the city and he wept and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings and you would not. See, even when he knew they were going to crucify him, Jesus stood and looked over that city and he said, how much... How much I would have protected you. How much I would have gathered you under my wings. But you wouldn't listen to me. 
And in verse 4, this woman, this Shulamite woman says, He brought me to the banqueting house, and His banner over me was love. What do you think the banner of Jesus over this church is? I expected a verbal answer. <laughs> love. His banner over us is love. How do we know that the Lord's banner over us is love? Well, go back again to Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus Christ died for this church. Listen, if this is one of the Lord's churches, and I know it is, but I'm going to say this. If this is one of the Lord's churches, if it's not, I don't want to be here, okay? But if this is one of the Lord's churches, Jesus died for this church. Just like he died for every other church. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders, reminded them, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. The blood of Jesus bought this church and every other church. And I know I shared this a moment ago since he said what he said about feed the church of God and so forth. Here's the way I look at it. A lot of people will look at this. Well, it's just church. No, my view is that I'm the messenger of the king, bringing the message of the king by the king's authority to the people of the king with the king looking on. And so it better be right. It better be correct. And so she just says, his banner over me is love. And for, what, 75 years now? More than that? Our Lord has overlooked, over 75 years, our Lord has overlooked and loved and protected this church. The shepherd is salvation. He is security to this Shulamite woman. And Jesus promised perpetuity to his churches. What does Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. Now remember this is where Jesus had asked who do men say that I am. Who do you say that I am. Peter said thou art the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus said basically you hadn't figured this out by yourself Peter. The Holy Spirit revealed it unto you. And he said thou art Peter. And upon this rock, talking about himself, the word Peter is the word for a little pebble. The word for this rock is the Petra. It's a massive boulder. Jesus wasn't building, as some teach, wasn't building the church on Peter. He was building the church on himself. And he said, upon this rock will I build or build up my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yes, individual churches have gone out of business, but I tell you what, the Lord will have a New Test at least one New Testament church on this earth until the time that he comes back. And then he's sustaining to her. Look at what she says. I am sick of love. Now that doesn't mean she was tired of it. Okay. It means she's lovesick. Have you ever seen anybody that's lovesick? Just watch a little teenager. Now it's preteens are lovesick too, you know. I always got amused that Aaron would say so and so and, and another boy were going together. I said, where are they going? You know, they're not even able to drive yet. They're going together. I don't know where they're going. She meant they're lovesick. You know, they think they're in love. These little children think they're in love and they just, you know, just got this ooey gooey feeling about the one they think they're in love with. That's what it means to be lovesick. But you know that ought to be our heart toward Jesus. We ought to be lovesick toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to love Him so much that the world would say y'all are just lovesick. Y'all are just lovesick. Jesus is everything and Jesus gives everything to his churches and we ought to have that love for him. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4. It lists in verses 11 and 12 some of the gifts that the Lord has given to this church and to all of his churches. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And I always like to point out there that your pastor is a gift from the Lord. 
And I understand that there are gag gifts. So, I mean, you decide what you got, you know. Sometimes the Lord gives the church what it needs. And sometimes he gives the church what it deserves. So you figure out what you got. But why did he do it? He says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How does he sustain us? He sustains us through his word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How am I going to grow as a child of God? By the word of God. And not just coming and sitting on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and listening to the preacher teaching, but by getting into it during the week in our own homes. And just like a baby wants milk, we ought to want the word of God. We ought to want to hear the word of God. Verse 6 in our text is the picture of sustaining. What does it say? His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. It's showing him, him holding her and embracing her, and that's how the Lord sustains his churches. Again, he loved the church and gave himself for it. He is our strength. He is our encourager. He is our support. And husbands ought to be strength and encouragement and support to their wives because that's what Jesus does for his churches, and he used that illustration of the husband-wife relationship too. Jesus has proven his love for this church. I want to ask you, do we prove our love for him? In verses 16 and 17, her assurance is in him. She knows who she is. She knows who she belongs to. She said, my beloved is mine and I am his. We can know that we belong to the Lord. 1 John, we're studying 1 John on Sunday nights. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. You've heard me refer to it already for several weeks. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I know who I belong to and I know that he knows me. John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. A child of God will hear the Lord's instruction. We hear the Lord's direction. He says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You think about it this way. Here we are in the hands of Jesus, and then God has His hands wrapped around the Lord's hands. That's twofold security, folks. Nothing can get in there. Nothing can get out. And he secures us. She knows whose she is. A true New Testament church and true New Testament believers know who they belong to. Amen. And they know where they came from. And she knows where he is. Look at the end of verse 16. She says this. My beloved is mine and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. The idea is he never leaves her. She knows where he is. She's never going to be apart from him, and she understands that. What does Hebrews 13, verse 5 say? tells us to let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he, talking about Jesus, has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's going to be there. We know where he is. He is with us. In fact, according to Matthew chapter 18, this is where Jesus told that first church, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. We don't have to be in that building to have Jesus in the midst of us. He's in the midst of us right now. Because we are, by the way, the word name indicates authority. We are gathered together by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so as we're gathered together by His authority, He is among us, He is in the midst of us, and He dwells with her. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. We're built upon the Lord Jesus. Remember He said, I will build my church. That word for build is a word for edify, build up. It wasn't that he was going to establish his church on the day of Pentecost. His church was already established that he put together when he was up on this earth. And he said, I'm going to edify it. I'm going to build it up. Amen. And it's built up upon him. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, which reminds us, Know ye not, the Apostle Paul writing in one of the Lord's churches, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. I believe with all of my heart. In fact, I appreciated what one of our visitors last week said. She said, I'll go to churches, visit churches sometimes, and it's obvious that the Spirit's not there. She said, but the Spirit's in this church. Amen. You know how good that makes a pastor's heart feel when somebody says that, when somebody recognizes that? And so the Spirit of God indwells this church, okay? And then finally, right quickly, her anticipation is of him in verses 8 through 13. She loves the voice of her beloved. Listen to verse 14. O my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock and the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. She said, you know what? I want to hear his voice. I just want to hear his voice. We should love the voice of our Lord. Now I'm going to tell you, Jesus is not going to speak to you audibly. Well, how does He speak to us? It's much louder than that. He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through the conviction of His Holy Spirit. We hear it today as we sit and hear a message from the Word of God, as we read and as we study the Word. John chapter 10, verse 4, And when He putteth forth His own sheep, He goeth before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. Verse 27 of that same chapter, Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice. As husbands and as wives, we ought to enjoy, we ought to... Consider the voice of our mate as sweet and enjoy hearing their voice. And certainly we ought to delight, as God's children, we ought to delight in the Word of God. Enjoy reading it. Enjoy hearing a message from the Word of God. I think I listened to two yesterday. I can't remember. I love to listen to other preachers who preach the truth. I don't like to listen to preachers that don't preach the truth, but those who do preach the truth, I love listening to them. And then she loved the vision of her beloved. Look at what she says. Behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. And then in verse 9, she gives a picture of his appearance. He's like a, a roe, a, a young heart. That's like a deer. Okay? She's like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. The sight of our mate as husbands and wives, ought to be pleasing to us. I said a moment ago, and I'm serious. I made a little joke out of it, but I'm serious. I enjoy seeing my wife come home. Amen. In fact, I've got cameras on the driveway now, so when <laughs> she pulls in, it alerts me, and I can finish up all those tasks I was supposed to do before she got home. <laughs> but it just ought to be pleasing and exciting to us. Where do you see Jesus today? Where do you get a picture of Jesus today? In His Word. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a picture of Jesus. 
And that's why I'm so adamant about the truth and preaching and teaching. You change, start changing the picture of Jesus that's in the Bible. You get another Jesus that is not the Son of God. Amen. So Jesus is pictured in the Word of God. And then she presents another thought. Or these verses present another thought. She says, Behold, He cometh. Behold, He cometh. She anticipates with joy His coming. And we should anticipate with great joy the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back and we don't know when, but I believe it's going to be one of these days soon. I mean, you just look at the condition, not just of the world, but you look at the condition of the Lord's churches today. And you see what condition they're in. And then you go to the book of, we well, just go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and read a description of what people are going to be like in the last days. And you begin to read the letters to the seven churches of Asia and the condition five of them were in. And you get the picture that the idea that if we're not careful, we're moving out and the Lord's coming back. But we'll look forward to his coming. The apostle Paul said this to young Timothy. He said, I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. There's a reward. God has a reward for those who love to think about, look at, expect, who just love the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then she loves what I call the victory of her beloved. And you start with verse 11, and she starts talking about he's coming. She says, the winter is past, you know, the rain is gone, the flowers are appearing, the birds are beginning to sing, you're starting to hear the voice of the turtle dove being heard in the land, the fig trees putting on its green figs, and the uh, vines are full of young tender grapes. I mean, you just get this picture, and we think, when we think of spring, what do we think of? Renewal, don't we? We think of rebirth. But here's something I see in this. Right now this world dwells in the darkness and the dreariness of sin. But folks, an eternal springtime's coming. An eternal springtime. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to move us out of here. This world will go through tribulation for seven years and then he will come back and he will set up his millennial kingdom and he will rule and reign in righteousness upon this earth. First of all, for a thousand years. And aren't we taught to pray for that? We're taught in the model prayer, we're to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's going to happen then? Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, it says that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. People mock the name of Jesus today. People make light of the name of Jesus today. People use the name of Jesus as a swear word today. But the day's coming. The day's coming. Those very people will bow before him. And they'll confess he is who he said he is. He is God in the flesh. And then, see it gets even gooder, right? I know it's supposed to be better. It gets even better. And then according to Revelation chapter 21 verse 1, what does it say? John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Peter says they're going to be burned up. But it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, the scripture says, wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know, there's some beautiful places on this ball of mud out here in space. 
You stand and look over the Grand Canyon. You can stand and we've been to both coasts. We've seen the Pacific and the Atlantic and gone down south and seen the Gulf of Mexico. And there's some beautiful sights to behold. But here's the thing. They can't hold a candle to what the new heaven and the new earth are going to be like. Amen. It's going to be a beautiful place. And that is awaiting us. And that is our hope. And that is our victory. Not that one day it's going to get wonderful here in this world, but that God has something so much better awaiting us in the world to come. In fact, Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's our hope. There's our victory. Jesus is coming back. The Shulamite woman has a great love for her shepherd. He captured her heart. She's lovesick over him. She loves to hear his voice. She loves to, see, she loves to see his face. And we're going to see that later on, Solomon's going to come with all of his wealth and all of his glory. And you know what? She's so in love with her shepherd, Solomon can't even attract her. And that's the way we ought to be toward this world. We're so in love with our Lord that everything the world has to offer can't attract us. And so I ask you this morning in closing, has the Lord captured our hearts in the same way that this shepherd captured the Shulamite's heart? Does he have us like the shepherd had her? You know, there's a difference between being acquainted with someone and being friends with them, isn't there? I'm acquainted with a lot of people. I don't call, always call myself a friend of theirs because, you know, a friend will, when you have a need, a friend will help you, a friend you see a friend quite often. So a lot of people whose names I know and whose faces I recognize, but I don't call them close friends. And there's a difference also between being mere friends with someone and being devoted to someone. I think a lot of people are just friends with Jesus and friendly toward Jesus, but they're not devoted to Jesus in love. Which of these three words would best describe us? Acquainted, friend, or devoted am I devoted to the Lord do I just know him by sight am I just his friend there are folks today who will I said they're sincere they'll talk about Jesus they know the name of Jesus but they've never repented toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ to be saved and they need to be saved today it is my prayer as your pastor and that we as one of the Lord's churches, that God would give us the devotion and God would give us the desire to serve Him faithfully. and that We would have the degree of love for Him that we ought to have and the kind of love that this Shulamite woman had for her shepherd.